0: The crimes, the criminals. Why did they do it? Who got hurt? Did they meet justice or commit the perfect crime? You'll find all the clues at Jim Harold's crime scene. Welcome to the crime scene. I am Jim Harold and so glad to be with you once again. And I have to say, of all of the various true crime cases that we have talked about over the years on this show, and now with this relaunch this year of the show, we're almost up to 200 episodes, but my goodness, um, there's rarely a case that is disturbing as the one we're going to talk about today, and that's the case of The Real Life Killer Clown, Inside the Mind of John Wayne Gacy, and our guest is the author of the new book, Inside the Mind of John Wayne Gacy, The Real Life Killer Clown. And we're talking about Brad Hunter. He is the national crime columnist for the Toronto Sun. Previously, he worked for the New York Post and his work has been published in newspapers and magazines around the planet. He is also the author of Cold-Blooded Killers back in 2021. He lives in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and likes pubs, hockey, baseball, and spending time with his family, which sound like uh, really great pursuits. Uh, Brad, welcome to... <laughs> well, a, lot, a, lot, uh, a lot more pleasant than the subject of today's show. Brad, welcome to the show.
1: Jim, it's great to be here. I'm uh, really excited to talk about this.
0: So I, I guess the question would be, you're up there in Canada, what got you into the topic of John Wayne Gacy? What led you into this, uh, well, wild case?
1: Well, the thing is, is about Gacy is, is a Gacy, you know, I mean, he got the needle in 1994, but he's never also, he's never really gone away. There's been the unidentified bodies and, and, and information about him over the years. And, and, you know, I mean, I recall doing Gacy stories when I uh, worked in New York at the post. And what happened here is that I'd done a uh, cold-blooded murder and they they asked me to do a new take on Gacy. And the fact is, is that Gacy uh, has not been a uh, silent serial killer since he was executed. I mean, more information is is constantly come out about him, more insight, more, uh, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, there's, there remains by, uh, unidentified, uh, victims in, uh, in Cook County, uh, that, that were taken from, uh, beneath, you know, his house in the plane. There's that, there's, you know, there's been another thing it's a, a weird sort of thing in that, you know, D.C is one of the killers who remains evergreen.
0: Mm-hmm. Like Adama or somebody like that. That's right. And now, let me ask you this. Let's uh, First of all, I want to say, obviously, if you're listening to this show, if you don't know, you should know this is not for kids. This is grown-up material, very disturbing material. Uh, so we want to get that out of the way. Now, there may be younger people listening, who weren't around when Gacy committed his crime. So they kind of know the name uh, and, and so forth. But if you can give us just a basic a few sentences about who Gacy was and his significance.
1: Sure. Uh, Gacy was a uh, uh, suburban contractor in Chicago, and he was quite successful. He was involved with the Democratic Party. He was a local uh, chairman. He uh and in his uh, spare time, he would dress as a clown for various neighborhood functions and to go see, you know, children in the, the sick kids hospital in Chicago and things like that. Now, what happened was is that Gacy had been, you know, and I obviously I'm coaching these terms, but Gacy had been a very successful serial killer. He wasn't caught for a very long time, and it was his own, you know, sort of hubris that did him in. And uh, his last victim, like there was, you know, half a dozen people that saw him leave this drugstore in suburban The Plains with the victim. And the victim, of course, turns up in the The Plains River. Uh, He was not one of the ones buried underneath the house, but. You know, this was a different sort of thing. And it was a different sort of victim to be, you know, quite frank. This kid played football, good marks, had a job. It doesn't diminish the other victims and it really raised the red flags. And then a whole bunch of things came together extremely quickly. And what you had was a house of horrors and headlines that captivated the
0: years. So one thing that I think one of the most sinister things, I mean, obviously, the the most sinister thing is murdering tens of people and torturing and raping them before you murder them. I I just unspeakable evil, unspeakable horror. But to the outside world, he must have appeared as before all this came to light as a good guy. Yeah, his
1: his neighbors loved them. He would hold parties, even though they noted the the, uh, the the foul stench coming from his house whenever they were inside there. But he, you know, he was uh, a hill hearty good fellow, well met. That had been his modus operandi from him being, you know, younger. He he, he had been involved with the JCs, and uh, he was a big wheel with them, you know, with the service clubs and that sort of thing. And, you know, people knew him through that way. And he owned, he managed his father-in-law's Kentucky Fried Chicken franchises in Waterloo, Iowa. And so he was a guy who came off as gregarious, if not a little boastful, very kind, would do things for his neighbors. And no one had a problem with him. He, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, I always knew he was a creek. And... Uh, That shocked a lot of people who knew him, his horrendous double life.
0: Now, he was married twice, right? That's right. So did his wives have any idea what was going on? Because one would think that they would have to have some clue.
1: Well, the first wife, Marilyn, she uh, obviously, the party came down for Gacy in Waterloo, Iowa in 1969. And he, you know, he was jailed for, uh, sexual assault for, you know, with, with young boys with two or three victims and that ended the marriage. I mean, she, for whatever reason, she believed that he was guilty. So he meets another woman, Carol, uh, can't remember her last name, but in the early seventies, she was a, a high school friend of his sister. And he knew her in high school and whatnot. And, and you know, she had a couple daughters. She was a single mom, recently divorced. And she meets Gacy and they, you know, begin a relationship. And she, you know, she moves into uh, his house, in suburban Chicago with the two girls and with her two girls and whatnot. And the girls, you know, to this day, as far as I know, despite the heinous crimes, considered Gacy to be their uh, to be their dad, and uh, you know he was very kind to them, and he was a attentive husband. But she starts she starts finding uh, gay pornography around their house in, in Plains, and he starts staying out a whole bunch, really late. And there are always teenage boys who work for him. This is when he, you know, transforms himself into a local contractor. So she gets suspicious about that sort of thing. And Mother's Day, I think 1975, you know, he told her that they wouldn't be having sex anymore. And uh, no explanation why. And of course, she... Takes the girls and moves out, and you know, essentially, that leaves him free to uh, murder and bring boys back to his house. At will, and from there, his bloodlust explodes once once she's out of out of the way. The last sort of veneer of respectability is gone. He now he starts killing in earnest,
0: and we're talking about at least at least 33 murders right
1: yeah at least and that's that's also one of the things that makes the john wayne gacy case evergreen is uh, this is connected to it it's a bit of a segue i had a guy uh call me out of the blue from kansas city and you know he he'd gotten away he, you know he's not on police radar, but he got away from Gacy. And, you know, in those times in the 70s and whatnot, a lot of kids are still, you know, hitchhiking and traveling the country and moving around. There's a a sense of restlessness. And so this kid, uh, he gets picked up on the interstate by uh, Gacy and one of his workers, because Gacy traveled a lot as well. And The idea that, that he didn't kill when he was on the road is sort of ridiculous. So so this guy got picked up and he ended up stealing Gacy's car, uh, in Lexington, Kentucky. And he knew when, you know, when the headlines started coming out about what had happened in Chicago, he knew Gacy was the guy whose car he'd stolen. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, he traveled a lot. And so, I mean, the idea that there's only 33 murders, there's 33 cases that we know of. But, you know, Gacy himself told one Chicago detective who I've interviewed, uh, Rafael Tobar, he, uh, you know, told him that, you know, the number's probably 45.
0: So the 33, were all 33 of those found? Well, the one you said was in the river were they mostly found in his home, buried in his basement?
1: Yeah, I think there was a uh, twenty-nine or thirty uh, that were buried underneath his house until he, he until he ran out of room.
0: Uh. now did he have a profile for his victims? You said earlier you talked about his last uh, victim. He got careless and he. He picked on the wrong person in the sense that it was somebody that people would miss. And it seemed like he focused a lot on what I guess you could term, unfortunately, invisible victims in the sense that – runaways, their people have lost contact with their families. Nobody's going to go looking for them. So it seems like he almost had this method where he tried to seek people out. And I'm reminded here in I'm in the Cleveland, Ohio area. Anthony Sowell was a serial killer here in the Cleveland area about a decade ago, I think. And he would pick on prostitutes and drug addicts, I believe. Now, I hope that that's correct, but that's my recollection. And by doing so, you pick on people who society wrongly would not miss, you know, and it's it's very sad for those people because somehow they're considered less than, which they shouldn't be, of course. But was that a part of Gacy's methodology?
1: Well, yeah, and I mean, part of the thing is is criminal academics that would, would refer to those people as the missing missing. How do you report someone missing who's like been out of contact with you know family and loved ones for? For years, sort of thing. Gacy, Gacy, generally, you know, his his victims were all white, and you know he would troll around the uh, Greyhound bus station in in downtown Chicago and in an area called also Uptown. Now, Uptown uh, is an area that's basically uh, not far from the bus station, but it's like poor white people who'd originally moved there from Appalachia to uh, to work in the factories of Chicago.
0: Yeah. I And I grew up in an area like that, so I can understand, because my dad came from West Virginia and worked in the steel mill. So I know exactly in Cleveland. So I know exactly the kind of place you're talking about.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, a lot of the kids there were, you know, were feral and they're looking for a buck and there's this Guys saying, "Hey, kid, do you want to smoke a joint?" Gacy, you know, generally always kept a uh, reefer with him with himself. So he would grab these kids where that it wasn't, you know, like a big red flag for the cops. It would, and at that time, you know, quite frankly, uh, you know, in defense of the cops, there was a lot of movement in the country. Uh, a lot of kids were hitting the road, hitchhiking, or taking the Greyhound bus or whatever, you know, and a lot of them were running away. I mean, you don't actually see that to this level. And in a lot of ways, Gacy is, you know, a man of his times, as it were, in, in that killers like Gacy, I mean, you know, you want a target-rich environment. You know, you got young boys hitchhiking on the highway and stuff like that. You know, the targets were plentiful.
0: Now, the clown piece, and I think that's you talk about Gacy being evergreen in the sense that he's always of interest to people and we, we hear of possibly new cases and we could talk about that in, in a bit. But the clown piece, I think that also kind of makes him, and I hate to use this word, but more popular in the pantheon of serial killers because – or people are more interested in him is what I really should say. Because of the clown piece and you know the parallels with – Pennywise the clown and it and and that kind of thing. So, did the clown piece was that totally separate from his murder spree, or did he somehow use that to facilitate it, or were they two totally different things?
1: No, he didn't. U- he didn't use it. It was actually a totally different thing. And he he would he later described it as you know a, an element of therapy for him. But he did have. You know, like himself, he had two clown personas. One was Pogo, the the happy clown, and the other one was Patches, the sad clown. And so, you'll find pictures where he's got the rounded mouth for Pogo, and he's got the points at the ends of his of his makeup for uh, Patches, which makes him look quite sinister. And you know. Clowns, professional clowns, will tell you you don't do, you don't do that simply because it, you know it makes you look scary, right? So I think the sinister Gacy worked his way into the clown thing. But he would talk about later. He would he would uh, talk about his clowning sort of thing, and you know he would cry. You know, as people know him, he, he would cry talking with some sick kid he'd met in the hospital, and yet. His victims, he would, you know, speak of them as if they were nothing.
0: Very sad. Very just I- I- incredible. And, and that gets to the point you talked about uh, kind of these multiple personas and people might think, oh, well, that maybe he had multiple personality disorder. Maybe he was mentally ill. And I had read uh, in your book where um, one of the detectives, I believe, said he wasn't he didn't believe that he was mentally ill. He was just plain old evil. What What are your thoughts?
1: I tend to, I mean, in these sorts of situations with someone like Gacy, it's always, how did they get there? Well, I don't think John Wayne Gacy was born evil. He, he grew up in an extremely abusive uh, home. His father was a World War One veteran and a drunk. And the reason he was named John Wayne Gacy was named John Wayne was because his father, you know, admired John Wayne, the actor, and saw him as the uh, pinnacle of American uh, manliness sort of thing. So, But you got a kid who likes to bake, who likes to sew, and, you know, of of course, parents these days would say, yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's what they want to do. But, you know, as a result, he took out his ire on John Wayne Gacy. He took out his ire on the mother as well. It was a very... You know, violent whom he would go to the basement. I mean, they weren't poor family by any means. Uh, even all through the depression, John John Stanley Gacy, his father, kept working. They lived in a nice middle class neighborhood in Chicago, but, but he was a demon. He would trans, he would go into his basement, start boozing, and then come up a monster and, and, and swinging. So I think the path, you know, Gacy got bunged on the head with a swing when he was a kid. But I think the path to that level of evil isn't, isn't particularly a straight one. It's, it's, it's one that this happens or that happens. I mean, you know, you turn left of the road or you turn right. And, and and that's, you know, that's how, how we, we see it every day, Jim is fate. You know, fate sort of playing a hand. Well, if I hadn't have turned right, if I turned left, I'd be dead. You know, but, but, and, and I think it's those factors, you know, building up, uh, that lead him to, you know, the evil he committed. He and, and, you know, I think that he was repressed as well. So, you know, you throw all these things in. And, you know, you have a very turbulent person and what's it go from there? You know,
0: (laughs) I don't want to get too graphic because it's truly disgusting. The things that he did, but I, was it for sexual gratification? Was it for power? Was it to regain control of his sexuality? All of the above. I mean, I mean there is no justification, let's be clear. I don't I mean horrible that he had a bad childhood and his father beat him up and called him names and things. That's horrible.
1: Lot, that happens to lots of people.
0: Right. They don't go and kill 33 plus people. But what did he get out of the murders? I think
1: what it was and this is, you know, from my reading and and working on this is that he was John Stanley Gacy, his father and those boys that he murdered were him,
0: you know, I thought about that, yeah,
1: it's the best explanation that I can find. I mean, he would uh uh torment them as his father had tormented him and and you know the cruel tricks with the with the handcuffs, you know, do you wanna see a trick and then telling them that they're gonna die uh, you know i mean that's i mean that's you know uh. That's horrendous. I mean, you know, most mafia hitmen would be shocked at that sort of uh, cold-bloodedness.
0: And he would claim, what did he claim? He, he would handcuff his victims and claim that, oh, I'm going to show you a magic trick, right?
1: That's correct, yeah. The the magic trick, and then he would, here, you try, and he'd get them in the handcuffs. But what he did is he had the, you know, the key up his sleeve. And you know he would quickly get it, and he'd say, "Oh, you know, you try," sort of thing. And uh and once he had them, that was the end. Then he would taunt them, he would sexually assault them, he would torture them, and the, these boys would be these boys would be sobbing Ugh. as he did this because it was a level of evil that you know is almost unimaginable. Did he
0: strangle them to death? Did he bludgeon them to death? He would typically strangle them to death. Oh, did anybody ever get away to tell the tale? I, I think that's the case, right?
1: Yeah, there's several, several guys who got away and, and it was part of the beginning of the end for Gacy and, and the guy had been picked up, um, in uptown or something like that, you know, or at a bar, like he, he was a bit older, maybe like 20 or something. and. Him and his friends. He knew he, he, Gacy had drugged him, and he knew what accident they'd gotten off and whatnot. And they watched for Gacy, and uh, when when he you know Gacy let him go, and he, he was all he was always certain that there was another person there, but he had endured it. Except he didn't wasn't murdered for some reason. Gacy let him go, but it had the, you know, the complete modus operandi of of, of Gacy. So him and his pals, uh, they kind of watched this exit, uh, off the, uh, John F. Kennedy, uh, uh, expressway in Chicago. And they saw Gacy's car. They got his license and they told the cops and Gacy was arrested. But at this point, you know, uh, he he was still he was still carrying on, and, you know, he's respectable, you know, local Democrat and uh, businessman and that sort of stuff. It wasn't enough to really seal the sort of deal, but it put him on the cop's radar because Gacy always counted on the fact that even if these kids got away or whatever, that. A, nobody is looking for them. Nobody would suspect him. And who are you, whose word are you going to take? Are you going to take the word of a respected businessman, local party player or some hustler, right? And so he counted on that, but the cops paid attention in this case. And now he's on the radar.
0: Now... In terms of the age range of his victims, what was the age range? Because I just, it just, you, you, I mean, I've known about Gacy for years, obviously, decades. And every time you reread the details, it just blows your mind how horrible all this was. But so folks know, if they don't know, what was the age range of his victims?
1: Well, it was probably from 12, 13 to, to 21 sort of thing with most in the 15, 16 area. And Gacy would lure them in with the promise of of, of jobs. He, he would, wherever he'd see them, oh, you know, come work for me, you know, and and uh, that sort of thing. And they'd go to work and never come home.
0: You talked about how this is evergreen. It's always developing. New cases are cases that are coming to the fore. What's uh, What's the score on that?
1: Well, I think I mean, it's, it's interesting The the, the uh, Cook County Sheriff still has one detective working on it. And oddly enough, I mean, that's you know, that's his his thing.
0: Well, good. Good for them. Good for them, by the way, because I think of these people who are lost to time and nobody ever knows what happened to them, their family and so forth. Good for them.
1: Yeah, no, ab- and absolutely, and and you know they do deserve a, a huge amount of credit for that. But I mean, also, the interesting thing is, is they've also cleared up like ten or fifteen other cold cases that yes. have nothing to do with Gacy, as they've been going through this, and they're still trying to identify. There's still five kids that have not been uh identified and you know they they're also i think in contact with a lot of people uh other detectives around the united states of where gacy might have been or you know uh, a a john doe that that's been long buried so they they they're continually working on that and the, i mean the other interesting aspect that has come up uh that, that i found quite fascinating was uh, Gacy's connections to a guy named uh, John David Norman, who was would have been you know considered maybe the worst pedophile in the United States. He uh was a guy who ran a nationwide—I don't want to call it an escort service—trafficking, trafficking. Yeah, he was a sex—he was a sex trafficker of of young boys for well healed pedophiles. Now he was in Chicago at the same time as Gacy, and his his lieutenant in his, you know, horrendous schemes was a guy named Philip Paskey. Now Philip Paskey worked for Gacy. So there's the connection between them. But Norman also was connected and provided boys to uh, Dean the Candyman Coral, the serial, uh, the Houston serial killer who racked up, you know, around a couple dozen uh, victims as well. And and that's been sort of, uh, you know, how much they're connected, how, I mean, it's certainly a tantalizing thought that, you know, uh, of these people being all connected.
0: Could he have gotten away with it today with all of the. For as long as he did, uh, with all of the DNA evidence and technology and all the cameras that are out there, closed circuit TV and all the different things, could he have done this today?
1: No way, no way. Would have he killed? Yes, but as you say, there. A, I mean, it's it's different times. Kids are much more savvy for starters. I mean, he might be doing it on the computer, on the internet, or but the fact is kids are much more savvy. There isn't that movement of drifting, you know, adolescents moving through the Chicago bus terminal. We're in places like Uptown in Chicago. It's just, it's not the same. There's CCTV, there is DNA and, and, you know, on and on and on. I mean, he may have killed but not the volume. I mean, and there's still serial killers now, but you don't see uh <laughs> you know, I sound like an accountant for a grocery store chain, but you don't see the volume anymore because for the reasons you specified, right? The CCTV, the DNA, and none, and on, and that puts them on ice generally fairly quick. And cops, cops have a better understanding of men like John Wayne Gacy now. And and so it's easier, uh, easier to catch.
0: Well, thank goodness for that, because I was going to ask you, are there more Gacy's out there? And I mean, I'm assuming on a smaller scale there are, but I I, at least in the States or North America, I wouldn't think that there are because they would have been caught by now. But there's probably small scale Gacy's.
1: Well, yeah, the FBI estimates, I think, that there's anywhere from 25 to 50 serial killers operating in the United States at this time but it's only generally only a matter of time before they before they get caught you know for the aforementioned reasons that you know they're just the, the they don't have the advantages they had in like 1977 or something and i mean it's yeah you know, it is a terrifying thing that there there are people like that out you know
0: i read in your book that uh, gacy talked about his victims like an accountant you know very kind of you know, well, 45 sounds like a good number. He told one of the detectives. My, my question is this. Did he maintain that feeling through the rest of his life before he was uh, put to death in 94? Or, or did he show any signs of remorse whatsoever?
1: There was no remorse for uh, there was no remorse for from John Wayne Gacy. They, they from the moment he grabbed them off the streets they were nothing and from the minute they jabbed the needle in his arm they were uh, they were nothing there was there was no remorse there was i suppose remorse about his life remorse about getting caught but there was no remorse for those boys
0: very sad and i could say that is a case certainly where i believe that the death penalty was 110% justified
1: yeah, it's a you know the death penalty is very uh a very difficult subject. Guys like John Wayne Gacy make it very. Easy.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny. I was telling somebody, you know, my feelings on a death penalty, and some people might think me harsh, but and unfortunately, there isn't there. You know, there's either guilty or not guilty. Uh, there's not guilty and really guilty. Because, you know, if there's, a, there's a, a case where it's an individual murder, you know, it could have gone either way. The jury was close, you know. I mean, they may be guilty. They may serve life in prison or whatever. But I would, it wouldn't feel comfortable giving that person, no, you know, the death penalty. However, when you have somebody who's super extra guilty – like Gacy, who has multiple victims, you found DNA. Of course, they—I guess they didn't in this case because they weren't using DNA, but they would have had they. They found the bodies in his basement. It was, to me, I have no compunction about the death penalty in those particular cases whatsoever.
1: No, none, and and that's that's the thing because there was no gray area for for John Wayne Gacy, right? The, the, and and I don't. I don't have a problem executing someone like Dacey either. It's, you know, it's, you know, the death penalty. You know, we don't have the death penalty in Canada. The last two people were executed in 1962. And yet consistently, you know, in in the intervening 60 years, you know, support for capital punishment remains at about 60%. Now, I think most people, Jim, you know, would, would say, the gun goes off at a liquor store heist, whatever that, you know, that's a horrible vile thing, but that's not on the, on par with Gacy. Whereas Gacy, someone like Gacy is the reason, I mean, you know, it's revulsion for the crimes has to be demonstrated. And that's, you know, that's why there is the death penalty and why it, stubbornly won't go away and probably may not ever go away is because, you know, what do you do with John Wayne Gacy? Uh, you know, particularly now, you're seeing absolute mindless violence in the street that we never saw 30 years ago. And it's like a chip in in somebody's DNA is is missing. And, you know, and this is the thing, is the death penalty, you know, support for the death penalty's been tempered over the last few years. But I can see it because of this, you know, going back up because nobody wants these people around.
0: It's been a fascinating conversation. Our guest has been Brad Hunter. Uh, The book is Inside the Mind of John Wayne Gacy, The Real Life Killer Clown. Now I'm looking at it here on Amazon, the U.S. It's got great ratings. Uh, I'm assuming they can get it at Amazon in all uh, countries and everywhere else. uh, Fine books are sold, I assume.
1: Absolutely. Support us.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And is there any place people should go if they wanted to follow your work, uh, your social media website, anything else you'd like to uh, tell the folks about?
1: Sure. Uh, uh, you know, I can I can be found at uh dot com where I hang out most days for your American audience. I write a lot about American crimes. Uh, I can be also found uh, at, at Hunter T.O. Sun. On Twitter.
0: Well, it's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed our discussion, albeit about a very, very uh, sad topic, that of uh, John Wayne Gacy, serial killer. Brad, thank you for joining us on the show today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Jim. Anytime you want to jabber about crime, I'm here.
0: Excellent. And thank you for tuning in. We appreciate it. And as we always say, be careful out there. Bye-bye, everybody.